Welcome to Committing Faith in Public. This is the podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Our guests tell stories of their work of weaving a more just, kind, and diversity-inclusive society. Our starting place for stories is Oklahoma because that is where we live and because many people, both in Oklahoma and beyond, are surprised when they learn that interreligious-friendly, pro-democracy, diversity-welcoming, public-good-oriented religion even exists in Oklahoma. So through this podcast, we're spreading good news and encouraging you in your faith and public life work. I'm Gary Peluso Verden, President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and working on the Religion and Public Life Initiative for the seminary. I'm on Committing Faith in Public today with the Reverend Dr. Jacob George. Uh, Jacob is the Director of Pastoral Care Services at Hillcrest Medical Center in Tulsa. He's a longtime supervisor in clinical pastoral education with a diplomate certification. CPE is a vocational training program for clergy and other religious professionals, sometimes taken with a graduate degree in ministry. I finally remember my olden days kind of CPE experience, which was much more in your face in those days, but it was it was a, a powerful learning experience for me and, and made it so that I could uh, go to any hospital for nearly any reason and feel at least somewhat confident that I knew how to take a next step once I walked in the door. Um, uh, Jacob has won several awards recently uh, from the hospital, from his professional associations, and from Bright Divinity School, from which he earned his Doctor of Ministry degree uh, for his outstanding service to an institution. Uh, he's been enormously helpful in recent years at Phillips Theological Seminary, where I work, uh, where he's the director of the seminary's parish-slash-community-based CPE program. And Jacob and I had something of a connection before we both landed in Tulsa. It was a little more, I think, than 20 years or so ago uh, when I was on an accreditation visit, and he was a seminary student at a school in Michigan where I was visiting. And lo and behold, a couple of decades later, we find ourselves, so it's about a decade, a little more than a decade later, we find ourselves both in Tulsa. So, Jacob, welcome today. Uh, so glad to have you on, and tell me how it's going for you today. Oh, thank you, Gary. It's a joy and an honor to have this conversation. Uh, well, how, how I'm doing? <laughs> well, it's been a long day. I got here at 7.30 this morning and uh, did payroll for our staff. Hmm. And uh, as I came in, uh, I had a peaceful, easy feeling hmm. to quote uh, from the gospel according to eagles. Uh-huh. Uh, and now it's almost 3.30 this afternoon, and it's been, the page has been uh, beeping, and phone calls, and code blues, and referrals, and so I'm feeling a little scattered and uh, not quite centered, and um, so that, that's what I'm feeling at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it's such a joy to connect with you, and uh, 
and to experience some community with you yeah, and, during and, the time of social distancing. <laughs> yes, so while we're social distancing, yes. Yeah, and uh, hospitals, of course, never sleep. There's things that happen always when you're, when you're gone, whether you're gone for just a, you know, a shift or whether you're gone uh, for a weekend. And so, yeah, Mondays are always uh, a lot of catch up. Uh, plus then, uh, like I said, life, life in a hospital doesn't stop. There's always things that, that uh, when you already have a full plate, there's something else coming at you. You're right. You yourself have been a hospital chaplain for how long now? Well, as a hospital chaplain, for, I've been uh, serving in this capacity for about 13 years. But prior to that, I was a hospice chaplain in the good old ah, days right, for, right. For, for almost a decade. Okay. And uh, so uh, that was a different uh, kind of care uh, where all my patients had a terminal condition. And right. I was working with patients and families in, the, in a 50-mile radius. Uh, traveling hundreds of miles sometimes during mm-hmm. the day and doing lots of funerals mm-hmm. <laughs> in a week mm-hmm. and meeting patients for the first time in their homes or in a nursing home, in a facility, many times mostly in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so I've been to literally thousands of homes in northeast Oklahoma. Hmm. So that's, uh, that's, that is, that's how I cut my teeth in chaplaincy after all my CPE training and education exposure yeah <laughs> so that was good training uh, and uh, i uh, that's something i that's a kind of ministry that has been very powerful and meaningful to me very good tell our audience what are the res- who may not know uh, what are the responsibilities of a hospital chaplain in quote normal times unquote i want to get to this Whatever, whatever this period we're in right now, this liminal period in between times, I want to get to that in a little bit. But in normal times, what are, what's the kind of scope of responsibilities of a hospital chaplain? Well, hospital chaplaincy, to, to, just to make some observations, is a ecumenical ministry. It's an interfaith ministry, as I understand it. It's mm-hmm. not a denominational ministry. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important for a chaplain to be very comfortable with diversity, religious diversity, all types of diversity. And so that's one of the competencies that's required for a chaplain to be to, to, to navigate in the healthcare world. Uh, so one of the responsibilities is to meet people where they're at, to provide emotional support, to provide spiritual support. Sometimes it's religious support. Sometimes it's faith-specific. And so I think a chaplain needs to know, have a good handle on uh, uh, on various religions and spiritualities. And I grew up in India. And so living in that pluralistic context, uh, I didn't... I didn't study all the faiths, but I got to experience them uh-huh. because I had class- uh-huh. classmates who were Hindus and Muslims and and Sikhs, and so uh, a lot of my education was uh, experiential. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so part of the part of a back circling back to the role of a chaplain uh, is to provide spiritual care, and it's also to provide uh, be a member of the interdisciplinary interdisciplinary team and uh, to bring our skills there in a team meeting and uh, to to uh, talk about what's going on with the patient from a spiritual standpoint, sometimes from a support standpoint. Sometimes uh, we are also doing advocacy work. We are patient advocates. In fact, this morning uh, there was a patient who 
was wanting to go back home and be discharged. He's got stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'd rather die at home. Uh, he, his, his home is uh, by the lake. And he said, I'd rather mm-hmm. die at home looking, looking at the lake mm-hmm. than die at the hospital. And so we were able to advocate for him and got his, was able to discharge him. The other thing we do, especially as hospital chaplains, is to facilitate end-of-life conversations um, sometimes end-of-life documents uh, like uh, do not resuscitate or ad- advanced directive, working, providing support with uh, to families. And so a chaplain is, a, uh, the way I see it, is a chaplain is a bridge builder, mm-hmm. uh, b- building bridges between the patient and the interdisciplinary team, sometimes building a bridge between the patient and family members who may not be on the same page, uh, there may uh-huh. be children from multiple uh-huh. families, and uh-huh. uh, there could be family tension and conflict. Sometimes the chaplain is a bridge builder between the patient and um, a higher power, uh, of between the patient and his or her denomination or faith group. So, the, so that's the that's another role of of a chaplain to be a build, bridge builder. So the role kind of expands, and I think a, a lot of the role depends on how the chaplain understands his or her role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I, when, when a chaplain comes on board, we give them orientation, employee orientation, department orientation, and we give them a badge. Mm-hmm. And it's up to, up to the chaplain to own the badge and to, to be comfortable with their identity as a minister, as a spiritual care provider, and to function at the highest level and, and to understand their scope of practice and also not to, and to stay within the boundaries of chaplaincy and spiritual care. I would think that even though this is a very religious part of the country, comparatively, uh, there are still a growing number of persons who don't are not affiliated with a particular institutional form of religion. And I've heard it said that chaplains are becoming more and more kind of public ministers um, who are uh, called on to um, talk about that bridge building, uh, who are trying to bridge between uh, the realms of meaning and spirituality and the like, sometimes in the face of, uh, of impending death and oftentimes in the, in the midst of suffering um, for persons who are, have not been all that well formed in any particular religious tradition. But you're again, you're you're still representing uh, the ultimate in some way for uh, when you walk in the room. Absolutely. And so there's a there can be there can be benefits to that when they hear the word chaplain. Um, uh, it might trigger all kinds of uh, imagery. Uh, sometimes I've gone into a patient's home. This is when I was in the, was a hospice chaplain, and I would be I would be, I would be greeted by the daughter of the patient, and the patient I could hear the patient in the background saying, "Who's that?" And uh, the daughter would say, "It's the preacher." Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the chaplains are viewed as preachers, sometimes we are viewed as priests, mm-hmm. sometimes the people think all chaplains are Catholic, or they think, well, chaplains, hmm, I thought only the, only the military had chaplains, right, you know? Right, right, <laughs> Didn't know they had chaplains in the hospital. Right. And so, and sometimes they equate chaplain equals Christian. Uh-huh. So it's a wonderful <laughs> uh, title to have, but sometimes it requires a little explaining yes. and, um, and even staff, 
their perception of it, of the chaplain is very different. And almost every chap member has a certain perception uh-huh. of the sometimes they equate it with a congregational minister. Sometimes they think, hmm, the chap, I don't want to call the chaplain because the chaplain's going to pray. Uh-huh. I'm going to get uncomfortable. The uh-huh. chaplain's going to talk about God. Oh my God. You know, uh-huh. and so uh-huh. there, there can be all those uh, uh, negative feelings attached right. to right. the word chaplain. Right. And sometimes we have to redeem the word and uh, to demonstrate what you know what what this uh, role is like right. and uh, what right. vocation is like so know? so you're interpreting give, yeah you're interpreting that role all the time to the people all that the time. you're you're, you're yeah. working with yeah and yeah, one of those and, roles one of those roles I want to talk about is you've had uh, extensive involvement in the clinical pastoral education program and CPE that was a significant part of my seminary experience, uh, highly formational and uh, helped me in a variety of ways. And I know it is for so many students who go through it. So tell the audience a little bit, if you would, what is a CPE program and what do those students and residents within the program do? Well, CPE is uh, clinical pastoral education, is graduate level theological education. And the model we use is action reflection. You know, you go out and do an action and you reflect on the action either through written form or, or through a debriefing process. And uh, as a result of the debriefing uh, and feedback from, from the educator and, and peers, certain insights develop, emerge. And so the student is able to maybe hopefully incorporate some of that feedback Mm -hmm. uh, into their learning, into the learning cycle. And then as a result, there would be new action. So action, reflection and uh, new action. Uh, so that's the that's the paradigm mm-hmm. of CPE, and most CPE programs are in healthcare settings. I wish there would be more CPE programs in churches. This is something the church should be doing, but mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I think the funding seems to be <laughs> in healthcare, where there's ample opportunity to for patients uh, for students to practice pastoral care because we are always dealing with patients who are in crisis, mm-hmm. and and so there's a there's a there's a very fertile ground for education, reflection. So one of some of the things we focus in, in CPE is, uh, is we look at a person's story, a person's, you're, you're, uh, you're asked to reflect on your history, your religious upbringing, religion, religious tradition. Uh, you, we work on pastoral identity, pastoral skills, leadership skills, conflict management, interdisciplinary work. And so some, so some of the areas we touch on. So we have, uh, if, if it's a residency program, it's generally a year long. And in that year long, there's a different emphasis for each unit, uh, depending on the educator's uh, mm-hmm. uh, paradigm and mm-hmm. uh, curriculum. So, but what we're doing at Phillips is something very unique. Uh, Phillips Theological Seminary is one of the few seminaries which has a, a CPE program. And out of the 240 plus uh, ATS accredited schools, there are very few. And so, and what we have there is a parish-based, uh, uh, community-based uh, CPE program. So right now we've got, uh, we started with six students, and uh, there was a student in a hospital. Uh, as a clinical site, we have a student who who works in a in a, in a, in a prison. Hmm. Uh, we have mm-hmm. two 
seminarians who are uh, who are placed at nursing homes, mm-hmm. and then we have a couple of parish ministers, and then a seminarian as a hospice chaplain. So they're all working in their own different sites, mm-hmm. and they come once a week to meet together. And uh, we were meeting in person through the year, but for the last uh, six weeks, we have been meeting via Zoom. And I was a little hesitant uh, using Zoom, uh, be- being fairly new to that uh, mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. And I-, I wasn't sure how this was going to go but i think our everybody's on time for one uh-huh. Isn't that interesting <laughs> nobody can say i was caught in caught up in traffic uh-huh. right so right. everybody shows up on time and uh, to my amazement the engagement uh, has been enhanced some of the students who were quiet during uh-huh. the unit uh-huh. have suddenly begun uh, coming out of the shell and speaking and uh, and speaking their truths and giving feedback and I'm saying oh my gosh this is good uh, maybe we should continue doing this <laughs> uh, so I forgot your question uh, uh, no that's okay I was ask, I was asking about uh, what are the what are the basic elements of a CPE program in other words what are those students who who are who are doing their um, you know, something during a semester or a quarter, as well as what those residents do in the hospital setting. And what you've been talking about is their action reflection model and about the various didactics that they experience yeah. along the way and individual supervision mm-hmm. and the like. But a lot of their Absolutely. time, isn't it? It's really, it's interfacing with patients. It's learning to be a, a, a chaplain or learning to be a pastoral caregiver by trying to give care. You're right. Uh, sometimes CPE gets mistaken for chaplaincy training, um, and a lot of the CPE uh, happens in chaplaincy context. But the CPE is, is uh, I think, would be beneficial not just for those who are looking to chaplaincy as a as a career objective, but it's a good part. It's a good way to integrate into one's graduate level theological education to bring some of those things that you learn in the classroom yes. uh, to integrate that and um, and to experiment that. It's uh, clinical theology what we're doing here, and so. So, so to step out from the classroom and to practice, that's an important uh, feature of CPE. So one of the things we do in CPE is we, it's a highly individualized uh, learning experience. So there's a lot of learning goals they have to come up with, several learning goals. Um, uh, so they learn about pastoral skills. Um, they apply, learn to apply academic knowledge. In a clinical setting, they Mm -hmm. learn to reflect on relationships with other persons, patients, family members, healthcare staff, colleagues in ministry, people from another faith tradition, um, understanding one's relationship between one's personal and pastoral identity, developing self-awareness. That's a big one Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, through the feedback process. uh, I think uh, uh, that's one area where I have grown to become more self-aware and to know what's going on inside me, what's my internal dialogue, how does what's happening inside of me influence me and influence my pastoral care. And so at the end of the unit, a person is supposed to have a good theory of mm-hmm. pastoral care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to, they're, a, they're able to integrate what they learned in seminary along with uh, the 
practical experience of the hospital or wherever the setting is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, so people learn to also, it's hard to be quiet in CPE. Sometimes maybe yes. in a seminary classroom <laughs> you can get away with being right, quiet. Right, right. And or post a few things on Blackboard and get away. But this is a very small group kind of process. I've got six students and with me there are seven of us in the, at the Phillips program. And... Um, and it's hard to hide. Yes. When you when that's uh, and we sit in a circle, and if somebody is quiet, sometimes we we hold up the mirror and reflect back and say, mm-hmm. hmm, "You've you've yeah. been quiet all morning. You haven't said much." Mm-hmm. And yeah, what's going on with you? So what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so people learn to you know extend themselves and uh, take some risks uh, in giving feedback. Sometimes I've noticed students are very comfortable saying affirming things yes, to peers right right but uh, but they find it very challenging to say give a feedback of a challenging nature yes and so that's another skill to how do you how do you hold up the mirror and give feedback to to a peer member and you might you might think it might backfire on you right. and the person may not receive you right. well and right. it might affect my relationship there's a lot of uh, things going on yeah <laughs> right absolutely yeah. As, as well as receive that kind of feedback and and be able to take it without without collapsing or 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 being completely defensive i mean actually trying to yeah. deal with what yeah. others are saying especially when multiples mm-hmm. are multiple people are saying the same thing to you and, yeah, okay. and uh, the, the other thing working in a healthcare context is you uh, uh, students are exposed to medical ethics. Yes. You know, we have an ethics committee, so we are many times called to serve as consultants in a family consultation room, or uh, we are also con- conversant with healthcare policies. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, I think what happens in CPE, uh, if somebody's had had the experience, they should be able to self-supervise them at the end of the right, day. So right. when they leave CPU, they, when they go back, uh, go to a congregational context, they're able to supervise themselves and uh, and uh, and be in, be in supervision in some form, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. either through therapy or through the denominational resources. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Always be in some sort of a small peer group for feedback and the community. Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears here. I want to talk about the hospital and, and pastoral giving and the pandemic. I'm really curious as to how responsibilities and kind of the delegation of time and attention may have mm-hmm. changed for the pastoral care staff, uh, both staff and students, um, mm-hmm. in trying to cope with the pandemic, which I know has to include themselves, I mean, each other, uh, mm-hmm. staff, and also families coming in. So talk, mm-hmm. talk to us some about what's going on, what's going on with pastoral care in the pandemic at the hospital? Sure. Well, what's happening at our hospital is fairly similar to what's happening in other hospitals across the country. Um, maybe maybe it might be different in New York and New Jersey and Michigan and some of the hot spots. Uh-huh. Uh, but what's happening in Oklahoma, uh, uh, it, 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 it's a, there's less traffic. 
usually the hospital is crowded and busy. It's buzzing with activity. The waiting rooms are full. We have uh, 250 surgeries at our hospital every week. Mm. And that's really reduced drastically. We're only doing emergency surgeries. But this week, we're again kicking back, mm-hmm. uh, but not at our normal volume. So there's mm-hmm. fewer people in the hospital. There's, uh, uh, it looks a little empty. Uh, protocols have changed. You know, employees have to wear a mask. They have to get their temperature checked. We're practicing social distancing. No self-serve in cafeteria. And so so, so mm-hmm. those are some of the things that's going on uh, across most uh, health systems. What's uh, happened, uh, another layer at Hellcrest Medical Center in Tulsa, is we, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, six, 600 employees were furloughed. And uh, and some of that has also impacted our department, mm-hmm. and uh, so we are not functioning at our full capacity. Mm-hmm. We had to. We are not utilizing our PRN chaplains like we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost a chaplain resident as a result of uh, COVID nineteen and its implications, and so this, this particular resident had to withdraw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had another chaplain who was exposed, mm-hmm. and so. He he had to go on on leave and um, go through testing and wait uh-huh. till he's cleared. So we lost a few folks, and some folks were sick from the flu, and so we have, we were we were really short staffed in some ways. Uh-huh. So our on-call structure has changed, and our on-call schedule, we usually make our schedule two months ahead of time. Hmm. So all of that is out of the window, and we had to go back to the drawing board and uh, and uh, have a new, uh, come up with a new <laughs> way to function. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so... Um, so what, what was what was the question, Gary? I sure, that's all right. That's right. So uh, have responsibilities then changed? I mean, besides that, you have your shorter staffed. Have yep. have the responsibilities of the chaplains, uh, the pastoral caregivers in the hospital, changed uh, with the yep. onset of the pandemic? That's the best word. Uh, you hit upon the right word. It's change, you know, and uh, and we are facing the challenge of change. We, we had to go from our normal professional attires. Many of us chaplains, we, we were used to coming in with a jacket or a tie mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. formal clothing, uh, dress shoes. And a lot of our chaplains have transitioned to scrubs. Huh, okay. And uh, so um, uh, less wooden tie and simpler attire, scrubs that are more easily washable. Mm-hmm. So in, in one way, it's, an uniting, it's, it's uniting in one way mm-hmm. because the other... The rest of the medical community wears scrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and also we've had to wear masks. And so sometimes it's hard to recognize people mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, So have you made your chaplain's baggage, badges bigger so we can see a big, a big sign says yeah. chaplain on when, when you walk in? Yeah, I think maybe we should have a t-shirt, t-shirt which t-shirt. says chaplain written boldly on and so, uh, so, and also when we communicate with a with a mask, uh, our voices change. Our voices, yes. our voices being right. muffled. Right. But what we've been able to do during this time is we've been able to maintain uh, a twenty four seven presence at the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's been a twenty four. It's a twenty four seven discipline uh, pre COVID. 
Right. And we continue to function that way all the way on a skeletal crew. We have somebody here at any given time of the day. Sometimes it's only one chaplain, sometimes it's two chaplains. Like today, we've got two chaplains. So uh, my resident and I, we have been running all over the place trying to take care of consults which we receive on epic that's the that's the that's the technology we use uh, mm-hmm. for documentation and so we get our referrals through that and okay. so we've been following up on that attending the code blues some of the some of the job description is pretty much routine mm-hmm. but one thing that has changed probably is we're doing more telechaplaincy ah. and we are calling people over the phone and uh, we check in uh, so when we call people over the phone some people some patients are happy actually mm-hmm. they say thank you chaplain for calling i'm glad you're not visiting me mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm a little anxious having visited mm-hmm. and so some people are uh, and they're very open to talking because they have time and and they they're lonely sometimes and they're open to a conversation mm-hmm. and there are times when i show up at the room and and there are patients who are happy with that too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a chaplain come on in i haven't had any visitors in a long time and of course we maintain good social distancing and um, forming in forming out we follow all the protocols one of the things that is uh, enhanced in our work at at least at our hospital uh, we call they're calling a lot of uh, family members. Mm-hmm. Normally, that doesn't happen too often. Mm-hmm. We're usually working mm-hmm. directly with the patient. Mm-hmm. And if, the patient, if family is present in the room, then great. We work with them and or we visit them in, in the waiting room as they're waiting on a surgery mm-hmm. that's in progress. Mm-hmm. But right now, we are calling family or, or, the fa- or the patient is asking us to call the family. Or sometimes I get a, just, um, just uh, today I got a call from uh, from the daughter of a patient from a mega church here in Tulsa, she calls and says, "Mom's in the hospital. It's not COVID-related, but she's she's got a terminal condition, and we haven't visited her in several weeks. Could you check on her?" Mm-hmm. And so I went to the room. We connected on FaceTime, uh, spent time, and did a little life review and she told me she's ready and she's not anxious about making the transition from the hospital or maybe maybe transitioning from this world so 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 a lot more telechaplaincy kind of work mm-hmm. and some of our Students, uh, residents, interns, uh, they are not very comfortable with <laughs> with using technology. Like uh, yesterday, I was, uh, Sunday, I was here and uh, one, of the, one of our interns, you know, he was struggling with technology and he was talking about how difficult it is to connect with a patient. And I said, hey, you know, uh, the other day I heard you say that you're, that you're doing online dating. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess if you can do digital, connect with people digitally, this should be, this should be easy. And he said, oh my God. Gosh, Jacob, you're right. <laughs> I'm used to connecting with people digitally. And so he was able to integrate some of that skill set uh, professionally, of course. <laughs> right. And, and at the same time, I remember being taught so much from CPE about the ministry of presence. Uh, yep. uh, and, and so, but this is this, what you're talking about now in terms of being present to, through technology. Uh, we, we have to understand and accept it as some kind of to borrow the religious term, real presence and an effort to be caring rather than mm-hmm. a, a social distancing technology. You're right. And uh, chaplaincy is one of those disciplines where relationships are key, right. and presence is right. key. So the impact of this 
change uh, these changes in the hospital uh, or the protocols that's paramount and it's hard to for example to read uh, expression or body language yes, behind right. PPE right. or right. Uh, technology is a wonderful tool but there's no substitute for a face-to-face encounter right. uh, so normally some of our chaplains are known as chaplain chaplain hugs Mm, and mm. we're no longer able to provide that ministry of touch. Mm-mm, right. And uh, right. and so uh, so people have been saying, "Well, chaplain, you owe me a hug when all this is over." And I said, <laughs> yeah. "Okay, I'm I'm keeping a list." Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I hope you're not here in 20 weeks or six weeks or four weeks or whatever that whenever the over whenever the over is. Last question I have. I'm wondering just overall as you as you as you think about and reflect on. Uh, the, the the ministry that you're giving uh, leadership to at the hospital. I'm thinking about, you know, uncertainty is always a part of a hospital experience. And you're dealing with health and you're dealing with suffering and you're dealing with death. And all of the technologies and knowledge we're trying to put into helping someone live and live well. But there's so much uncertainty. And that's got to be the word of the day, of the time. Uh, that mm-hmm. we're all we're all in some way treading water in a great ocean of uncertainty. Earlier today, in a phone in a Zoom call, uh, I said this is this feels more like a a trip to Mars than it does a trip to the moon. Uh, right. In terms of what you know, how long we're going to be dealing with this, how much differently we have to think, and how quickly or not this is going to be over, and so. Given kind of that, is there anything you can say about what might feel different or your own uh, emotions, experiences, thoughts about the uncertainty of these times as far as the hospital goes? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're all experiencing change, you know, and where there is life, there is always change. We know that. But uh, these changes have been uh, very drastic. looks like the very foundation of the world has uh, has been has shook, and the things that are shakeable have uh, uh, have dropped, and the things that cannot be shaken uh, hmm. remain. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah. So, so one of the questions I'm asking myself is uh, uh, not to be afraid of change, and not to view change, all these drastic changes we are experiencing as a as a threat, mm-hmm. but to use change as an opportunity to grow. One of the images I have for myself is, you know, I see myself as a bridge builder, you know. My task here as a chaplain uh, during these times is to create a create islands of shalom you know, hmm. in a sea hmm. of isolation and hostility, especially in what's happening in the political world. Mm-hmm. And um, my, I'm, I'm viewing myself as how can I move the world or my world here at the hospital closer to shalom? Hmm. And how can, I, how, how can I create a community that's inclusive and loving? And the community is just not just a group of people working together under mm-hmm. one roof here in the mm-hmm. hospital. Mm-hmm. How, can, how can this be a group of people that's loving each other and make it a place of resurrection and make it an authentic uh, community where, where love, is, love is foundational? And so so I'm, I'm trying to go on all the floors, meet with uh, different teams, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the huddles we have, of course, keeping social distancing, we don't huddle together, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and uh, connecting with, it's a lot of connecting that I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I think uh, 
I think a good part of my life was uh, focused around achieving, you know, accomplishments mm-hmm. and pursuing things and mm-hmm. pursuing goals. And mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes a, a society is uh, devoted and obsessed and enslaved by achieving. And sometimes we are bankrupt and impoverished mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to connecting. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I see myself as a community builder here, trying to build... Uh, um, trying to be, trying to be the guardian of the spirit, you know, yeah. and yeah. be the guardian of the whole human spirit. I think we were made for community. Yes. So in right. this uh, season of social distancing, you know, um, when people are not able to be with families and faith groups and churches, uh, how do we, how do we pursue community? You know, and some of the things for me that makes community possible is uh, unconditional love, mm-hmm. humility, mm-hmm. justice, servanthood, civility, uh, honesty, generosity. These are the gifts mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. we bring, and uh, these are the gifts that make community possible. And uh, so the question I'm asking myself is, what does the good Lord require of you, Jacob? <laughs> Justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly and to be a servant during this time of great uh, adversity. Yes. And with that absolutely excellent word, I'm going to close and say, Reverend Dr. Jacob George, I am so happy yes. that you took some time today to talk with yes. me on Community yes. Faith in Public. And I so appreciate your presence in Tulsa and your work both at the hospital and at the seminary. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. This has been Committing Faith in Public, a podcast from the Religion and Public Life Initiative at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Copyright PTS and Gary Peluso Verdend. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect an official position of Phillips Theological Seminary.